Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. One day as I lay sleeping on the floor because I was so filled with self-hatred, I didn't believe I deserved a bed to sleep in. So as I lay sleeping, actually a cockroach crawled over my foot. I opened my eyes just the way we all do every morning. And in that moment in time, I was shown how my world was created. It was like I woke up so quickly and so startled that there was no identity there. The mind had not had time to catch up. And I saw in that moment the cause of all suffering. I was shown. You know, it was like there was no story. That's Byron Katie, our guest this week, talking about the moment involving a cockroach that she says changed her life. And she has, for many subsequent years, been trying to share that insight with tens of thousands of people through something she calls the work. Now, I actually didn't know anything about Byron Katie, really nothing. But when I heard she was coming on the show, I emailed my friend and colleague, Jay Michelson. Jay, you may have heard of him. He's been on the show a couple of times. He's a great meditation teacher, along with also being a, a rabbi and a LGBTQ activist and a journalist and many, many other things. And he also uh, works at 10% Happier, where he runs the uh, talks section of the app and writes our weekly newsletter. Anyway, smart guy. I emailed him because I knew he was a fan of Byron Katie, which is why I had said yes to her in the first place. And I said, hey, she's coming on the show tomorrow. I know it's short notice. Any advice? And he, um, well, he said a couple things. One thing he said, and I'm reading from his email, I've met a crap ton of spiritual teachers and only a small minority are as realized and real as Katie is. Katie is absolutely the real deal in my experience, he continued, a hundred percent happier. He also had some advice about how I should conduct the interview, and he said I should jettison my usual technique of asking people for their backstory. Instead, dive right into what she calls the work and have her do the work with me. So we will get into her backstory. You just heard a snippet of it, and it's fascinating, quite dramatic, even more dramatic than that little clip would indicate. But we're going to start with her diving into this process that she has used on so many people, and it's called The Work. Jay specifically told me, don't do any research on it. Let her just do it on you in real time. So that's what I did, and I'm not going to tell you much about it either. She's going to describe it. Just one item of business, which is keep an eye on this feed because we're going to put up a bonus meditation from Sharon Salzberg soon. So be on the lookout for that. Before we get into Byron Katie, here is her bio, just so you know it. Byron Kathleen Mitchell, better known as Byron Katie, is an American speaker and author who teaches a method of self-inquiry known as the work of Byron Katie or simply the work. She's the founder of Byron Katie International, an organization that includes the School for the Work and Turnaround House in Ojai, California. Time magazine described her as a spiritual innovator for the 21st century. Here we go. Byron Katie. Okay. So, Dan... Hi. Dan, Dan. Hi, <laughs> hi. It's a joy to uh, just kind of hang out in your, your what, office this morning? I wouldn't say this is my office. Yeah. This is a radio studio at ABC News. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's nice. The conversation is, is really nice. 
And so, Dan, what's, you know, what I bring to meditation is how to get still and identify what you're thinking and believing. And to do that, for example, if someone said, Byron Katie, I don't like you, and my feelings were really hurt, okay? So, and it's bothering me, it's bothering me, or maybe it's Facebook, you know, whatever. I go back to that situation that's bothering me, and I get still, I find my favorite chair, and I get really still, and I anchor my mind in that situation. And I begin to identify what I was thinking and believing in that situation, about that situation, that person, about me, about the world. I just listen and I write my judgments down, the judgments I was experiencing then. So you can see why this takes stillness. So what was I thinking and believing that brought on so much stress? And that's easy. Um, it's, it's easy for me to do when I consider that what I was thinking and believing is the cause of my suffering. In fact, it's the cause of all suffering. So it's worth identifying and questioning. So let's say I wrote down, for example, um, he doesn't care about me. Okay? So I would question it. So what I bring is inquiry. Four questions, and then a way of meditating in opposites, which doesn't make a lot of sense when I tell you now, but it will when we get there. So the first question is, he doesn't care about me. The first question is, is it true? Now, I'm not going to answer out of that yes that took me to the, that I came into inquiry with. I'm going to just sit and see as I am anchored in that situation where that person says, I don't like you. Anchor there, and I'm going to, with my eyes closed, I see me standing there. I see him standing there. I see the look on his face. I can hear the words that were spoken. So this really is a fearless set. (laughs) So is it true? He doesn't like me. Is it true? So I'm really scoping it out in that silence, anchored in that moment in time. And then I'm shown through images and, and mind what I was thinking and believing in the past and my reaction and his reaction. He doesn't, he doesn't care about me. Is it true? So the answer is one syllable. It's either yes or no. So we, I just stay still until I'm shown. And then the second question is, if my answer is no, And yes or no, we're always equal because it's the truth we're looking for. So if the answer is yes, I move to question two. Can I? And if it's no, I just skip to three. So can I absolutely know that it's true? He doesn't care about me. So I'm not going to guess. It's the truth that sets us free. 
I'm going to continue to anchor there and give give yes and no equal opportunity. No guessing. Okay, so then when I'm shown that, so you can see, Dan, that no one can do it, do this for us. This is really personal. Now, the third question, how do I react? What happens when I believe the thought? So now I'm anchored in that situation, in that time and place, and I begin to get in touch with the emotions that I felt. And I give them an opportunity to show me, to, and, and I experience through those emotions. How do I react? What happens when I believe the thought were emotions? Now I'm going to get in touch with those images of past future I was experiencing when I believed the thought he doesn't care about. And I can see clearly the tendencies that that occur on my face. Did I give him the look? Did I become, um, what identity did I shift into? Uh, protective? Um, um, did I make a joke? Did I, you know, how did I react? What happens when I believe the thought? He doesn't care about me. I witnessed that. And then I move to the fourth question. You know, going back to that third, it's showing me the mind, the cause of my suffering, and how I react when mind happens. Okay, and and the cause of mean-mindedness, it's like, how do I react? Did I attack him? Did I belittle him? Did I insult him? I'm witnessing. I really want to know. Okay, so then the fourth question. In that situation, who or what would I be without the thought? He doesn't care about me. So I take that post-it off of him, you know, what I was believing, the judgment I believed onto him. I take that post-it off, and, and I witness me, him, the situation without the thought. He doesn't care about me. And all of a sudden, I'm a better listener. I can hear now what I couldn't hear then, what I heard but couldn't acknowledge. My mind was overriding it. So I'm really in reality. And I love that fourth question, I'm safe? Other than what I'm thinking and believing? It's really pleasant to be with him, and I'm learning a lot about myself in this process of how I react When I believe the thought, he doesn't care about me. Okay, so I continue in this meditative state to sit in those questions, those four questions, and then I move to what I call the turnarounds or opposites. He doesn't care about me. He does care about me. That's an opposite. Now, I'm not trading a negative belief for a positive. It's just not going to work for me. It's it's not going to work. I'm going to meditate in that as I continue to anchor in that space where I believed he didn't care about me in that situation with him. 
I see it clearly. I continue to be there. He does care about me. Now I'm looking at, you know, is there something I missed? Words spoken. The way, the words he was speaking and what I believed into those words or onto those words. You know, I get to see the difference. He does care about me. And maybe I can, maybe I can see something else. Now, I'm not ever going to force this. I've got to have the real deal because that's all that's going to set me free. Okay. So he does care about me. Now, this is something I try on. You know, when I talk about trading negative for positive, I'm just going to try it on. He does care about me. So that's what I'm doing as I sit in silence, meditating in that situation. So it's like a pair of shoes. I'm in the shoe store, and I love these shoes. I'm going to try them on. I'm not going to walk out with shoes that that I can't walk comfortably in. So I'm just trying that turnaround on. And if I can see something he does care about me, then there it is. And if I can't, that's okay. There it's not. (laughs) Okay, so another opposite. He doesn't care about me. I don't care about him. Okay, in that situation with him, where is it? And where did it show and how did it feel? I don't like him. How did I let him know that if I did it all? So I'm trying it on like that new pair of shoes. I don't care about him. Now, maybe I see something there that I need to, maybe I'd ring in and, um, and admit my wrong. Maybe I insulted him. Admit my wrong, and then make it right where I can. And for me, that's what my lifetime is about, making right my wrongs. It's a beautiful way to live. And it's a silent way of living, too. No one ever has to know. I'm the one that benefits. And the people around me often let me know they benefit as well. He doesn't care about me. Okay, is there another turnaround? I've tried that one on. I've tried two of them on. Uh, They don't care. He doesn't care about me. I can't find another opposite. And maybe your listeners will find another opposite that I missed. And so you can see I'm not manipulating the judgment. I'm just doing direct turnarounds and continuing to meditate in, in that. And so that is what I call the work. There's suffering in life. There's discontent. And there's a reason for the suffering. And that reason is what we're thinking and believing. Cause of all suffering. And there's a way out of that suffering. And I discovered that about 30 years ago. And it's never failed me. And it hasn't failed millions of people today. And um, 
there's a way out of suffering. And I hope that I have done well describing that that process of inquiry. I'd like to say the work is judge your neighbor, write it down, ask four questions, turn it around, and begin again. Yeah, I had a lot of questions that came up in my mind as you were speaking. I held back because I thought I'd probably start to understand more once we got into it. Mm-hmm. For real. Yeah. I like for real. So any of those questions you recall? One of them was, you said, I'm examining whether he cares about me and you're waiting for an answer to arise during mm-hmm. meditation, yes or no. But how can you trust that answer given that you're... I, I can't. I, I can't. He does, he does care about me. I'm just witnessing that situation just to see what I missed. And like a new pair of shoes, maybe it doesn't fit. Those turnarounds don't always fit. But I'm open to what they can show me one way or the other. I think I'll understand more if we try to do, if we try to do some work together. Okay. So what has stressed you out lately? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I have a, there are a couple of things I could say. So I'll just pick one and I'll tell you. And then if, if you think that's not a good thing to work on, we can work on something else. Okay. For better or worse, I have a reasonable list. Uh huh. One thing that's stressing me out for months, if not more, not longer, is, and this is, I have spent an embarrassing amount of time, an embarrassing and soul sucking amount of time obsessing about my looks. In that, two, two aspects of it. One is, I feel like the visible ab muscles I had when I was in my 30s have gone away and are irretrievably in an irretrievable fashion Mm -hmm. no matter how much working out i do i can't get them back Mm -hmm. my pants are tight as i sit here right now Mm -hmm. and the other is that i find that when i look at myself in any if i pass any reflective surface the on the way here walking from my apartment to work i passed a starbucks and i happened to look in the window and i could see myself i feel like i look old yeah and i'm approaching 50 and when i look at myself in the mirror or when i look pictures of myself, I see my dad. Yeah. And and that's not the way I think of myself. And yet I'm confronted with reality a lot. Yeah. So, um, so you look old. Okay. And, and so when, when we look at you, that's what we're seeing. That's, that's what you really mean, right? Like the way the world sees you. Yes, in part. Okay. So you look old. Is that true? Now, the situation is you're passing the, you're, the Starbucks window. You see that image in the, on the glass. So you see that in your mind's eye. That's a situation we're going to anchor in. Okay. All the answer is going to come out of that. You look old. Mm-hmm. Is it true? Look at the reflection. Really look at that. You look old. Is it true? Is it true? This is what I was struggling with. What exactly do you mean by is it true in that context? I mean, 
look again. You know, yet the answer yes and no are equal. There's nothing tricky about this. It really takes stillness. Look at that image on the glass, in the glass. You look old. Is it true? I feel like it's true. Okay. One syllable. Yes. Okay. So just feel that. So you look old. Look again. Close your eyes. You look old. Can you really know that it's true you look old? No. Okay. Now, some of us jump to that no because we can't really know anything. (laughs) But contemplate this. And maybe your answer is still yes, but it deserves time. Anything that would upset you this long and to that extent deserves looking at. I still... So it's still a yes. No, I still okay. think I can't. I feel when I look at, when I conjure that image of the frumpy, nearly 48-year-old guy with the dad bod walking down mm-hmm. the street, I feel, yeah, that guy looks old. But when you ask, you know, is it verifiably, that's not the word you use, but... No, that's it, that's not it. It's well, just like, can you... Can you, can you really, really know? know? Can I really know? That you look old. Right, I can't And remember, really we're know. the world looking at you. Yes. That you, you see you look <clears throat> that way and assume we see you that way. So it's, you know, this is, um, this is vast to sit in. I, and I hear you're still at a yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm at a yes for I feel I look old, but I can't say for sure that that's the way the world sees me. Okay, so stay with you then. Okay. Because it's your quarry. So can you absolutely know that it's true you look old? This is an interesting uh, judgment to question. I can absolutely, I'm going to get a little legalistic with you. Okay, don't don't say more than yes or no. Well, that's why this, you know, we're meditating, we're meditating in a moment in time. A moment in time that's worth looking at, it brings stress into your life. Yes. Okay. So now notice, eyes closed, witness, experience How do you react? What happens when you believe the thought, I look old? So start with emotions. Uh, There's a sense of being under attack. It's not like being chased by a saber-toothed tiger because I am the saber-toothed tiger and the person who's being chased. So there's a sense of attacking myself. Yeah, but the feeling, Dan. Fear. Uh, is it fear? Yeah, Judgment. It takes, it, it takes time to identify the feelings, so fear? The fear, I think, is related to death, probably. Okay, and this is all going on as you look at a reflection. Yes. In a, yeah. Okay, how do you react? 
emotionally when you think the thought, I look old. I feel, where, I feel bad about myself. And where do you feel that? Chest. Physically. Chest. In your chest. Yes. And how far reaching is that? Take uh, your time. How much of your body does it take over from your chest up to your neck, your shoulders, your head, your, um, your facial expression? Maybe it goes down as far as your stomach, your, um, your upper legs. Just, just get in touch with the emotion. Chest, maybe two or three inches above the solar plexus, kind of a circular area of tension, not super deep right now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, maybe a, some tension above the nose, between the eyes. Good, good. So just allow that. Emotions are, we fear them. And in that third question, we learn to understand more about emotions. We disregard them so easily, so quickly. Now, as you experience the emotions, what was going on in your head? What images of past and future? As you pass that window, you look at that image in the window. What images of past future occurred to you? What do you see? What did you see in that situation? past was more vivid. I just saw tiny little shards of images of myself as a younger, fitter dude. Yes. So you see that. And then the future. What occurred? We, we hear the images of the past, the image of the future. I didn't get any images of the future. I have one I heard you say. You want me to share it with you? Yes. You, you see images in your mind's eye of your father. Mm. Not at Starbucks this morning, but I do frequently in those moments. Well, yes. in, that, in that situation. Yes, I do. Now you compare that young past image with the future image of you in your mind's eye looking like your dad in in some ways and you compare those two now this is what's meant Dan by life is a dream those images of past future and then what you're believing onto them are the cause of your emotions. It's a movie. It is the dream world. It is, it's, it's like, who are you? You know the, the, the question, who am I? Are you the one of the future? Is that Dan? Are you the one of the past? Is that Dan? The one walking down the street. I mean, there are three selves there. Now, who would you be without the thought?
I would just be the Dan walking down the street. Present? Yes. At home in yourself? Mm-hmm. Comfortable? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have anything to compare it to. No. So look at the image. Walk, you're, you're walking by just the way you did. Look at the image without projecting on to them past future. You okay? Mm-hmm. It was hard not to do it without the projection. Mm-hmm. So notice that. You're, you're witnessing the cause of all suffering. Mm-hmm. It's not your body. It can never be. It's what we believe about our bodies that is the cause of suffering, of being uncomfortable in the world. You know, if we took our mind to the gym as often as we take our body to the gym or gave it that much attention, just imagine the health in this country. So, um, I'm old. What is the opposite of I'm old? I'm young. Okay. So, just try that pair of shoes on. Just try that shoe on. I'm old. So, what are you experiencing? If I'm trying on the I'm young shoe? Uh Uh-huh. Walking down the street, seeing the reflection in the glass, I'm young. Feels like a stretch. Okay, so just experience it. Now experience yourself in that fourth question, who you are without the thought, without those false selves running in your head of past, future. I'm young. How does your body feel without the thought? How does it feel physically? You described it to us already. And the fourth question. How does the body in the mental image feel? Or how does my body right now feel as I think about this? Walking down the street, just the way you did, Mm -hmm. as you witness that now, and look at that past self, that, that self, Without his story, I'm old, turned around, I'm young, try it on. It just feels, um, there's nothing in particular going on, it just feels like I feel the weight of my body just as it is. Yeah. Catching up to reality. Few people do because simply because we don't know how. But to me, without my story, I'm weightless, I'm ageless. I'm doing this work with you. And it's what I'm able to live. 
Because that question, is it true? I've allowed it space in my life, and it's, it's a part of my mind. So how would this work? We've just gone through the, mm-hmm. the steps. Well, let's, let's continue. Okay, there's more. I'm old. Turned around, I'm young. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't see another turnaround. I could sit in this a while, and I would find, I would find, um, you know, possibly find another one. What I learned in this, Dan, is that image in the glass, that's not real. That's not you. I'm old. Is it true? I'm looking at a glass, and that's not me. That's crazy. No one has even seen their face. We look in the mirror in the morning, brushing our teeth, and we believe onto the image in the mirror. And we're too old, too fat, too lazy. Our abs aren't right. It's, um, you know... What, Einstein said imagination is everything? He didn't say almost everything. 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 And Socrates said, a mind, a life unquestioned is not worth living. And how many of us can identify the judgment when we experience those emotions you were describing? And we look to what we're, the judgments we're experiencing? That's the cause of emotion. It's the, it's the cause of everything. So it's, it, what's crazy is we haven't been in touch with the simplest thing, which is how to question, identify the judgments and question them and get still in them. But so we just went through that, and mm-hmm. yet I have – maybe this is just another story – a reasonably high conviction that the next time I look in the mirror, the same thoughts are going to come back. Could happen. It's just unfinished business. Now, we have worked with one concept on ByronKatie.com. It's simple, 100% free. You just go there. And what we have set together in this morning, it's all there. How to do it on what to do when nothing else works. You know, that's really what we're talking about here. Um, it's, um, it's, there's a judge your neighbor worksheet. And, um, and all the instructions are there. It's nothing more than a way of um, identifying what we were thinking and believing in any given moment. And it's, so you could, you could write a whole worksheet. There's six questions on it about just seeing the image in the, in the glass. So we worked with one concept, and that Judge Your Neighbor worksheet, as it came to me, it, it included everything. You know, I saw how the mind worked. I want, I need, you should, I shouldn't. You know, it's just, there are just about six things we think that are just, we wonder why our lives are boring. <laughs> you know, we're just, I'm, I'm too fat, I'm too fat, I'm too fat, I'm too old, I'm too old, I'm too old, just over and over and over. And it's, um, it's uh, not a little thing that we're discussing here this morning. So this work that we just did. Inquiry. Inquiry. Mm-hmm. 
am I correct in because I, I didn't do I was on orders. I didn't do a ton of research going into this discussion. Are you saying we would I would repeat this exercise ad infinitum until there's 100 percent freedom? as no, you described? And, and, Until you um, understand what's really going on as you pass a reflection on the glass. I mean, it's our freedom is our birthright. You know, politics can't give us that. Freedom is our birthright. Only we can give us that. And this is taking full responsibility for what I'm thinking and believing. That's, it is a responsibility. Until then, the way I react is, is I accuse people. My mind is, is full of na 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 and self-judgments and it's, um, it's not a great place to live. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're accurately <laughs> describing my mind. But but it is uh, just to get clear on this, and one would or I would repeat this exercise. Is is, as, is that correct? As needed. As needed. And it's nothing you have to do. It's just you know you want to be free or not. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just it, and I really did. You know, we talked earlier about. Um, Panic attacks. I Bef- just before I'm, we started rolling, oh, we were talking yeah. about panic attacks. I just don't, you know, if it, I just want anyone to have to suffer what you and I have experienced in that. Stay tuned. More of our conversation is on the way after this. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile. Third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You will always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre. From bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business and more. What I've been checking out recently is called Our Share of Night. It's technically, I guess, a horror, but it's definitely literature. I mean, it's incredibly well written, absolutely fascinating. And it really does rhyme with some of the themes that we explore uh, on this show. I highly recommend it, although I'm only uh, through the, the first 15, 20% of it, but already I highly recommend it. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. I was just reading uh, before I was told not to do any research. Mm-hmm. I did get one uh, – some, somebody sent me a page from your most recent book which describes uh, – the most recent book is called A Mind at Home with Itself. Mm-hmm. And this page describes some of your personal history. It sounded like you went through a really rough patch 
Can you describe I, that? You know, just for more than a decade, uh, I was so depressed and agoraphobic. I could it was it was so difficult those last two years of that to even leave my bedroom. How, how old were you at this time? I was um, I was forty three, and you were a mom. A mom of three. Three mm-hmm. kids, back three in Three children, mm-hmm. and and trying to raise my children, and and uh, agoraphobic, um, panic attacks, horrible, horrible. It's a, it's a, I don't want anyone to have to suffer that way. Substance abuse. Pardon. Substance abuse. Were you abusing substance? You know, it was substance abuse. It was alcohol. Um, my husband at the time was and was having like he was into like his fourth heart attack. The doctor said if you smoke, you know, it's going to kill you, and he was still smoking. And um, and so you know, I was living in a lot of terror, raising those children and supporting the family at the same time. Just somehow, even just doing it by phone. But um, we didn't have internet in in those days. What were you? What was your profession at the time? Uh, mother, I was just good at at um, at um, at making money. And. Uh... But Had didn't you, know it at the time. I was terrified. You know, the amount of money never mattered. I was just terrified of, of not having enough. Did Did you have any exposure to meditation at this point? Oh, oh, zero, zero, zero. That was for those people. You know, other people. Yeah. And those I read you other so you, weird people. You ended up in a halfway house, and they put you in the <laughs> attic for for eating disorder and on. Um, and um, because my insurance um, wouldn't cover um, what I thought I needed, that is the only thing they they would cover. And so I said yes. I was really desperate, and somehow got there. And um, as and yes, in the attic, because oh boy, this is I don't. The words seem to like I'm stumbling around, but you know, basically, there were two or three other people there when I arrived, and they were they were afraid of me. I have no idea why. They told me this much later. Did they, I hear you had a gun or something like that? Well, that was um, at home in bed, just just a gun under my pillow. It just sounds. Crazy, but of course I was crazy. So um, on the mailman would on was a large brick home, and the the where he dropped the mail into the house was a, a brass mail slot. So he would pick it up, drop the mail in, and then it would fall against the you know the the brass against the brass, and I could hear it upstairs, and it would terrify me. It's like he touched my house. I mean, Dan, I was really whacked. So, um, so you know, I was so suicidal it was difficult to even take a breath. I'd wake up in the mornings and I'd, I'd, just, I'd just think, oh my God, you know. It's like waking up into hell. Huh. And, okay. and so um, 
So they they said they go along with me being there if um, if they put me in the attic. There was a little room up there. So one day, as I lay sleeping on the floor because I was so filled with self hatred, I didn't believe I deserved a bed to sleep in. So it made perfect sense that I belonged on the floor to me. So as I lay sleeping, actually a cockroach crawled over my foot. I opened my eyes just the way we all do every morning. I opened my eyes, and in that moment in time, I was shown how, how, the, how my world was created, what created it. And, um, and I was, it's like at the time there was no identity. It was, it was like I woke up so quickly and so startled that there was no identity there. The mind had not had time to catch up with the, the, the waking eyes, let's say. And, and, and I saw in, in that moment the cause of all suffering. I was shown. You know, it was like there was no story. I saw, I saw like um, a ceiling and walls but I also saw that prior to me, the mind naming that, that basically they didn't exist. We have to name things before we can believe them into being. And, 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 you know, I saw sky and window and, and, and um, ceiling and floor and 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 it was this body was as impersonal as anything that I was looking at, and and so the work, these four questions and opposite came out of that moment. I would try to, people wanted to see, you know, they wanted to know what was this radical shift because even my children didn't recognize me. It was the same body, but it, I, I was just unrecognizable to my family. And the shift was just so radical. So um, they would say, you know, people would say, what happened? And you, how do I tell something like this? I'm still having difficulty with mm. it. And... Um, and but I, I, I saw um, how suffering was created and how to end it, and and my beliefs, like yours, walking by the window, my beliefs were so ingrained that I used these questions myself to stay awake, and I know there are meditators, there are people in the world that have, you know, just just. Amazing experiences of um, of um, of enlightenment, let's say, of freedom, and but the mind overrides it until and, until um, we're not in touch with the realization we were in touch with. It, it's like it's um, what we're believing over it keeps us from the awareness, but. The what we become aware of as we do this work, um, it's always there. So I question anything that overrides it, and um, in this process that you and I looked at, 
Um, so eventually people began to, uh, I want to go back a moment. People would say, you know, what is this? What have you done? And I couldn't tell it. I had no words for it. Words not only diminished it, as you can see now, it, it, it confuses even the issue. But um, I learned to, I learned to offer people this inquiry, and um, and and they're taking it in. You know, they're they're actually using it, and it doesn't take people on a spiritual path. It, it just anyone whose mind is open to um, a question can do this work. And so, you know, I, I know my job. It was given, and, and, um, and I'm grateful. Did you ever have formal meditation training? No. Still to this day? Still to this day. So, but this work is, medita- is meditation. That's what it takes. So, um, so yeah. And, and I, you know, Dan, I don't think I've... I, I don't think I've been out of that meditative state for over 30 years. Since the cockroach. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't think it matters. It's just that on, on, I think that people have a right to know the possibilities of, um, of um, a freer life. So there are two parts of the story that are, I think, worth – at least two parts worth examining. One is – one is the moment with a cockroach on the floor of a halfway house for eating disorders. I know you said words can only confuse it further, so yeah, I apologize yeah. in advance for uh, for trying to elicit more words. You know, but I sat and interviewed Eckhart Tolle, the great uh, best-selling spiritual uh-huh. teacher and author, and and he told me a similar story of ha- being in in distress. Uh, in his apartment, I think, in London, and after having years and years of depression and anxiety, and he just had a moment where mm-hmm. he had what he calls a spiritual awakening, and then afterwards he was living on park benches in a state of bliss. Uh-huh. And I, as a secular Western materialist, hear a story like that, and I get pretty skeptical. So, well, you know, rightfully so. You know, it, it means we have to wait a lifetime for it, and then on our deathbed say, "Ah, oh, it's not fair. I didn't get it." You know, but that's what I love about this work. It's it's um, it's for everyone whose mind is open to it, and we're just dealing with our own lives and taking responsibility for the cause of of our suffering. What we don't we're need a cockroach. And believing. We don't need a cockroach. Absolutely moment, right? not. My. No, no one has to get as sick as I am on, on is really my message, as, as I was. And so really it's – and this is the second part of the question. In your life after that moment, so you had this big moment, you, 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 you sustained the realization mm-hmm. through the continuous use of, of these is it questions. True? Yes. Of, of, is it is true? Is it true? And noticing how I react, what happens – when I believe the thought and who I am in that situation without the thought and then try on opposites. And it's really just that. It's, um, it's, it's, um, you know, it, it, when I say, have you ever eaten, have you ever seen a banana? You see, um, you see an image of that banana in your mind's eye. Yeah. So anyone who thinks they've ever seen a banana 
can do this work. Yeah. It's just that simple. And it's a way to cut through. Tell me if what I'm saying is accurate. It's a way to cut through the stories we're constantly telling ourselves, mm-hmm. which are the source of our suffering. And my, uh, what I would say, it's a way of understanding the mind. It's how the mind can question itself, how the mind comes to understands itself and can rest in itself and live fearlessly what needs to be lived out. I'm just trying to think if I understand that. Could you say more about what, about what you just said? When I believe my thoughts, I suffer. When I question them, I notice I don't. And if I do, I just simply become responsible enough to take care of my own life my, and the cause of, of um, any stress in that. And so getting practical, let's go back to my pretty embarrassing little body dysmorphic You're describing the world when, when, when you you know, you're you're, you're describing the world. You're talking about all of us. And I can have these thoughts about my body. You were talking about your abs. I can have that thought about my, about this body, my body. It just doesn't bother me. It's (laughs) like a comedy show. (laughs) So the pack, the, 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 the mail arrives, but there's nobody taking delivery of it. Yeah, I'm not attached to it. And that doesn't mean I don't disregard it. The extreme opposite, I honor every thought that wants to happen. I haven't, in more than 30 years, I haven't met a thought I haven't loved. How do we love something? We get connected to it. I mean, to understand the cause of the entire, of one's entire world is, is, it's not a little thing, and it's a privilege. We can do it. So back to the my my stuff about the dual uh, um, self-flagellation around looking old and having a belly. It's when I see that happening, the move is to to run in that moment to no, run through the four no, questions just no, later just, on. Oh yeah, and if you have a if, if you have a specific time that you've set aside for let's let's say in the mornings to sit for ten or twenty minutes, your your judgments are are written down, and on, with the with the form on on your website. Yes, that's really helpful. Yeah. Also, um, there's a one belief at a time worksheet um, that walks people through what you and I just walked through with with the your body image and the. In the glass. So I can take my 10, 15 minutes of meditation and go through this. Oh, absolutely. Or even part of it. There's no, there's no question here that, that, isn't, that doesn't give just radical insight to an open mind. So you talked before about 100% freedom. That is a big claim. Well, I, would, um, I could only claim that in the moment. I mean, what else is there? It's not 100% freedom in every moment going forward. You know, I could say so far, so good. For you. Uh-huh. But I I can't know the future. For all I know, something's going to completely stress me out. I'm wide open to it. It's just unfinished business. But for the rest of us, 100% freedom, is that really on the menu? You know, it's nothing I suggest. I just say start with what hurts and and and. And it helps us ease up enough to change the diapers without stress and do the dishes. 
And all it takes to start moving down this road is the 10 to 15 minutes a day of working, of, of, of sitting in an open mind with these questions. You know, I, I, um, I found it very intriguing. Before we close, because I'm sensitive to your to your time, um, can you tell me you you have this new book, A Mind at Home with Itself. What what's is there stuff in there that we haven't covered in in this um, discussion? Yes, there's a there's a there's a lot of of uh, of what people refer to as um, as I don't know. I think it's really far out for a beginner, and uh, and I have to share it because it's my experience. So there's the book. But I think uh, for a beginner, uh, Loving What Is, my first book. Love. Okay, so mm-hmm. you would recommend for a beginner to go back to that book, mm-hmm. Loving What Is. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and even before that, I would honestly recommend um, my website where people can go immediately to how to do this. And, and, you know, I'm not its best representative um, sitting with you today, but it's so, you know, I've been able to put it in writing so simply, so clearly that that's what I'd suggest. So you, if I was your publisher, I'd be annoyed at you. But basically what you're saying is go print these worksheets out from your website for free and just do that. Well, you know, um, my job is the end of suffering. I've been given a gift and that's that's priority and that's my job here. Not selling books. Uh, you know, selling books is great, you know, but, um, you know, it's, it, this, this is a funny topic. I, I hope my publisher well understood before they published the book that what my job is. And in fact, before, um, before publishing, I sat with everyone in that publishing house to – on the executives from the top to the bottom, maybe 12, 16 people there. And everyone had to do the work. And the publisher did the work himself before I sold the book. And I don't sell my books to um, publishers that um, that don't understand it. My last publisher for A, a Mind at Home, um, this was not for him. We did the work on his... Um, on his father, actually, and blew his mind. And But he had a judge-your-neighbor worksheet prepared, and I think that was the difference. And, and I'd love that you notice when you look at that image in the mirror and, and um, any, any difference that, that you do experience because the mind would tell us, you know, I'm going to believe the same thing when I, when I pass. But, you know, um, who knows? Is there anything that I should have asked you but didn't? You know, also, um, I'm on YouTube. I'm trying to, to think, you know, what is – and – I have an app. I think it's ninety-nine cents or a dollar ninety-nine or something. That it's nothing more than the judge and neighbor worksheet and um, and one belief at a time worksheet and my voice uh, supporting people all the way through as we've done today. Oh, so it's kind of walking through, mm-hmm. walking people through mm-hmm. the work. Uh-huh. What's the name of the app? Uh, the work. Okay. I really appreciate you <laughs> doing the work with me, and I telling you right now, I will give it a shot in a more extended way because it seems like 
that is important? Uh, well, I certainly invite you to it. That's 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 for sure. It's a joy to sit with you this morning. Thank you. Thanks again to Byron Katie. I just want to make a quick announcement before we get to the voicemails. You're going to notice an aesthetic change on this podcast pretty soon. We are changing our icon. Uh, we're going to be using some of the uh, look and feel of the new color pa- palette and uh, imagery on the 10% Happier app. And we're going to start spelling uh, the name of the podcast differently. So we're going to spell it out as T-E-N-P-E-R-C-E-N-T instead of using 10% sign. Uh, so that's coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. I just don't want you to be shocked when you see it. All right, let's do some voicemails. Hi, Dan. This is Amelia from New Zealand. Um, First of all, thank you for 10% Happier. That's really helped me on my meditation journey. Secondly, I actually just had something I was wondering about, really, is you talked about in the book how you had, when you went to a retreat, this amazing experience. It seemed like you were euphoric after meditation and you were wandering around seeing fairies and unicorns, basically. And I wondered, has that happened again? And when can I expect this to happen to me? Okay, thanks a lot. Bye. <laughs> okay, and there were no, just to be clear, no fairies, no unicorns. I did, however, have an amazing experience. You used the word euphoric, um, and I think that's probably in the right neighborhood. I have a, I have a lot to say about your question. Let me just by, if, if for those of you who are unfamiliar with what she's referencing, in the book 10% Happier, I wrote about my first meditation retreat. It was a 10-day silent meditation retreat out in California, and... I hated it intensely, really hated it for days, and was really struggling against all of it, thought I was wasting my time, I hated everybody around me, I I thought I was getting nowhere, doing it wrong, a lot of physical pain, a lot of boredom, and four or five days in, I kind of gave up and stopped trying so hard, and that's when the practice really opened up for me, and I was able to really click in to the present moment. I think I described it as the be- the first couple of the days of the retreat were it was kind of like I was being dragged by a motorboat by my head. And then on day four or five, when I had a little bit of a breakthrough, it was like I got up on water skis. And it was really incredible. I was kind of dragged kicking and screaming into the right now. And... Yeah, it was, as I wrote, it was accompanied by a big blast of serotonin. It just felt great. And I realized how much of my life I'm walking around in autopilot, stuck in projection or rumination. And instead, I was really enjoying things as they were, which it turns out is extraordinarily pleasing when done in the right circumstances and in the right way. So, yeah, that was quite dramatic. And you asked, when can I expect that to happen to me? I think that that's close to a verbatim uh, repetition of what you said. I know for sure you use the word expect. And let me say this. Expectations I have learned the hard way are the most noxious thing you can bring to the meditation party. Expectation is just another way of saying the word desire or wanting something to be a certain way. And that is a right there in the in the words of the Buddha, a hindrance to meditation. Meditation is like this weird video game where you can't move forward if you want to move forward. You have to kind of put yourself into this kind of position of neutral in order to make 
quote-unquote progress. But you can't trick yourself or fake it into neutrality. And now here, by the way, I'm talking mostly about meditation in the context of a retreat, although it is true off retreat too. But many of us get on retreat, myself included, and we really want something to happen. I have a friend, one of my colleagues at 10% Happier, Duran, uh, one of our engineers, super smart guy, um, and he just finished his first 10-day meditation retreat. I haven't fully debriefed with him on how it went, but going in, he was really worried that nothing was going to happen. And I you know, was explaining to him that that's a little bit of a recipe for trouble, although also kind of unavoidable. We, we are, many of us, type A folks, and we want to win at meditation. And I have found over and over on retreat that the only way for that to happen is for me to go through the cycle of wanting it so badly and then finally giving up. Or as my meditation teacher, Joseph Goldstein, has said to me many times at key moments in retreat, on retreat rather, surrender. And by which he doesn't mean, you know, like surrender all of my money to him. He just means stop trying so hard. And it is always after that, four or five days of me just punching myself out and just running myself ragged, that when I give up for real, that I have had many times very interesting experiences. So the good news is those experiences are there to be had, as far as I can tell. The bad news is expecting them to happen seems to rule them out. Yeah, so hope that answers the question. I hope that doesn't dissuade you from going deeper into meditation. I found that as painful as this cycle is, it's a thousand percent worth it. Let's do voicemail number two. Hi, Dan. This is Linda in Washington, D.C. I am a teacher, and I teach elementary school, and I teach uh, mindfulness and conflict resolution and social-emotional learning. And I have been very successful in teaching loving-kindness, or as I call it at school, heartfulness, with my elementary school students. But I've just recently gotten a request to write a curriculum for a new middle school. And as much as I want to include loving-kindness in the curriculum, I'm nervous about how to present the, not so much the concepts, but the language to kids in middle school. Um, These are going to be mostly kids of color and some English language learners, mostly lower income. And I I know from talking to teachers that culturally this whole thing is going to be a little bit foreign to most of the kids and to many of the teachers. So the usual kind of may you be happy language, I think, is maybe going to be off-putting. And I know that you um, have been writing about this and thinking about this, I guess, for your next book. And I was just wondering if you had come across language that was more relatable and more comfortable maybe for older kids or for adults who, like you, I guess, are a bit allergic to the the heart talk. I would love to hear any thoughts you had on that. And um, as always, I thank you so much for everything. You, you mean so much to me, and your work has helped me enormously and helped me to help a lot of kids, too. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much, and good on you for doing the work you're doing. I think you're, you're probably making a a massive difference in the lives of these children. Um, I don't know that I have a silver bullet for you. But let me just say a bunch of stuff, and hopefully somewhere in there is a somewhat useful nugget. Um, I also have some uh, some input from my colleague Ray Hausman, um, who's much more highly trained meditation teacher than I am. 
So, so it's often said, you know, in, in meta meditation or loving kindness meditation, classically, we repeat these phrases like, may you be happy, may you be safe, may you be healthy, may you live with ease. It's often been said that you can make up your own phrases. I don't, I've never heard anybody come up, I've never heard any different phraseology that, that doesn't mean there isn't. It just means that I have never heard it myself. But I think you can start to play around with that, perhaps, and maybe even work with the kids to come up with different ways to language the this kind of well-wishing. You, you might want to go back and listen to – I've had George Mumford on the show before, and he's had a lot of luck teaching meditation and compassion to athletes, including folks in the NBA and Sharon Salzberg once asked him, how do you talk to NBA stars about compassion? And his answer was, I just say, don't be hating. So that's just, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's somebody that might be worth investigation. But the, the real answer in my mind is not so much to tweak the phrases, but to tweak the way you're teeing the whole thing up. Because what worked for me personally in terms of adopting this what this practice that I found to be deeply off-putting and annoying and saccharine was to have it explained that that it works, that there is science behind this, and that people I respect do this on the regular and get a lot out of it. And so it, it might be worth researching practitioners of metta or loving kindness to whom your students can relate, which will allow them to have an open mind when you get down to the practice. That's just a, a thought that comes to mind as I consider your conundrum. I think it's also useful to to let you hear a little bit of what my colleague Ray Hausman had to say about this. Her point was that that it's first of all, it's great that you're getting curious about making this practice accessible to people uh, in different communities. But her thought was that it, it, we might have to be careful about uh, assuming that so-called heart-centric language will be off-putting to folks. Um, and she, she, in terms of a resource, she recommended, and I wish I had thought of this, uh, the Holistic Life Foundation, which is based in Baltimore, Maryland. Ali Smith, who is one of the co-founders of HLF, has been on the show, so you can go back and listen to him. Uh, he and his brother, Atman, and their friend, Andy, founded HLF. And, and, and the, the brief story is that they, many years ago, went into some of the toughest schools in a very tough city, Baltimore, and said, give us your most problematic children. And they then taught those kids how to do yoga and meditation. And they have had extraordinary results. And what's very powerful now is that as that program has scaled to many, many more schools, the people doing the teaching are the children who took the course initially. And so it's very powerful to have uh, Ray makes this point. It's very powerful for students to be learning from people who look and sound like them. So I, I think that's an excellent point. Um, and and I think the HLF might be a good place for you to investigate for ways to 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 approach uh, this kind of practice. And one other point that Ray makes that I agree with is that um, what HLF does that is particularly useful is they combine the yoga. You may already be doing this, but having some movement in there can can be useful. All right. I hope, I hope something in there was useful for you. Again, good on you for doing this work. It's super important. Big thanks to everybody uh, involved in putting this show together. Ryan Kessler, 
my ace producer, also Samuel Johns uh, and Grace Livingston, and our podcast insiders who every week uh, shower us with useful and sometimes tough feedback, but also always useful. And thanks to you for listening. We'll be back uh, soon with a uh, guided meditation from Sharon Salzberg that we're going to post in the podcast feed and, of course, a new episode every Wednesday. Talk to you soon. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me DJ and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.